is On Mute Now, the podcast that raises the volume on whispered community conversations. We are so glad that you chose to be with us today. Whether you're a first time visitor to On Mute Now or you're the anonymous donor who contributed to the International Women's Day episode, or if you're an anonymous donor yet to come, we're very, very glad that you're here. Today, we will be talking about positioning yourself for progress in the world of work. And we have two experts who have joined us today, Sylvia Umbati and Clover Watts. And they will be speaking to us about recruitment and human resources. But first, let me introduce my hosts, or my co-hosts. First of all, let's say hello to Angela. Hi, Hi Angela. Hi. And Yolande. Hello, hello. And Natasha. Hiya. Well, ladies, we're going to be talking about positioning ourselves to progress in the workplace. Are you looking forward to this? Yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> okay, very good. Let's introduce our guests. First of all, I'm going to ask Sylvia, would you come and say hello? Hi. Thanks for having me. Hi, Sylvia. So good to have you. And Clover. Hello. How are you? (laughs) We're fine. Nice being here. That's good. I'm going to ask you, ladies, just to give a little introduction to yourselves. First of all, can I start with Clover? Okay. I am currently a senior HR business partner working with a technology firm in Antrim. I've been working in the field of HR for around 24 years at various oh, levels. Oh, oh. Yeah. Just a wee bit then. <laughs> Just a wee bit. Um, starting back in Jamaica, which is my home country, I've worked as an HR manager, an HR director, and I've honed my skills, my HR skills within a range of industries to include computer retail, telecommunications, and now electronic manufacturing. Fantastic. Brilliant. That's it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Sylvia, will you tell us a little bit about you? Of course. I'm a talent acquisition specialist. I specialize Oh, I love in... the sound of that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I specialize in technical recruitment, specifically within investment banking. So helping tier one investment banks build the greatest platforms they can to support trading of stocks, equities, um, cryptocurrency. I currently work with Peak6, so we have a range of different firms. So if you've ever thought of buying stocks for yourself, chances are my developers built that platform you're using. Okay. Well, that certainly gives (laughs) us some insights. Well done. So I'm going to jump right in with the first question. What do you see as the benefits, the advantages or disadvantages of having monitoring forms on, you know, ethnic minority for, for ethnic minority people what are the advantages and disadvantages for an ethnic minority person of having monitoring forms on your applications and i'm going to start off with clover all right um i'm not quite sure how the use of monitoring forms um correlate with being an ethnic minority so i suppose i'll give a general response in relation to the advantages and disadvantages one Asking candidates, firstly, I should say, to complete um, a monitoring form is predicated on the fact that it is a legal requirement. So that's the first thing. Can't get away from that in Northern Ireland, certainly. Um, The benefit really is more, I suppose, the companies, at the very least, the company is able to understand the diverse makeup 
um, of its workforce, um, gender, ethnicity. Um, for example, an, an organization may want to look at the number of women in management roles from ethnic minority groups or the number of applicants to, to certain um, types of roles and how many of them are females. Um, it also comes in handy, you know, when making submissions, for example, as companies do for awards, and it does help in promoting the diversity ethos of an organization and the commitment to encouraging people of all walks of life and backgrounds to work within the organization. I think there's a type of information that potential candidates would be interested in when they are researching um, a company. Um, certainly for me, that would be quite important. Um, as a disadvantage, you know, apart from the fact that it takes a lot of time to collate what the Equality Commission requests each year, I can't actually think of any a disadvantage. It, it does take valuable time, as I would say, away from business critical objectives tallied up numbers. And the truth is, I do not understand what it's used for. When the Equality Commission gets it, I, I don't quite get what the, what the purpose of it is. I've never been clear on that. What I perhaps maybe don't appreciate the value of or see the benefit of is the monitoring of one's community background. For me, if I'm recruiting, it's the best person for the job, irrespective of your race, your gender, your religious affiliation, your community background, et cetera. And I don't think organizations should feel a need to attract one group of people you know, over the other. Um, it wants to ensure the advertisement for the job does not use language that could potentially be discriminatory and advertised on various platforms, then that should be enough. And that is what I would, that is, would be just my point of view on that. Good. That's very insightful. I, sorry, go ahead, Natasha. No, I was just going to say that's very insightful, Culver. And in terms of monitoring forms, I realize that um, that's mostly done when people are making an actual application for yeah. jobs. So mm -hmm. I was just wondering, in light of the current pandemic that we're all in, what are some trends that you have observed in the capacity of the workforce, if you have observed any? Um, Can I start, sorry, just yes. a, may I just say something about the monitoring forms? I was trying to make a comment yeah. before you sorry. answer a question. Mm -hmm. I suppose in terms of monitoring forms, Clover, I'm going to mm -hmm. be honest. When I mm -hmm. get one to fill out, it depends on my mood because there are days I don't feel like telling anybody whether I'm black or not. So I would go with rather not say. And so there's a yeah. lot of people in the community who feels like those forms allow companies to tick a box. It's, it's just an exercise where you feel that it's tokenism or you know that you'll be the lone black person or whatever in well, the company. But I hear you from an yeah. HR perspective yeah. and I'm really grateful to see it from a different, a different angle. Yeah, it is a legal requirement. We have to do a report every single year and send off to the Equality Commission. You know, there's no question on that. Absolutely. So we, we, we need to do it. So we are required to ask for that information. We can't get around that at all. Um, so unfortunately, what, we, what I have noticed since working here, though, is that people who are or Irish or Northern Irish, they, they tend to take one or the other, say Protestant or Catholic. Outsiders quote-unquote, yeah. you know, who are migrants and so on, they put neither. Yeah. That you, you find that that is a trend. They don't classify themselves as one or the other. 
Can I just, uh, sorry again, um, Tassa, please, just, just to pick back on what Yelan said, I wonder whether, you know, whether this issue of filling in the form for an applicant that's a migrant, for example, uh -huh. there could be the concern, suspicion that actually this could work against me. Exactly. So the opposite exactly. of positive mm -hmm. discrimination, but actually, would they look at this and are they really not going to take it into account? Could you maybe shed some light on that? What happens with the monitoring forms is that it goes to the monitoring officer and the monitoring officer is meant to pull that bit of the form away from the application. So what goes to the hiring manager is just the application form. They do not see the monitoring. So that is handled separate. The hiring manager, those people who are actually involved in the selection process, they should not be privy to the monitoring information. So it should not be going against you at all. That's very useful to hear. Yeah. Should not. Very useful yes. to hear. Thank you. To add a bit of context on that. So yeah. one of the reasons why we use the monitoring form is to show that the opportunity being presented by the company is accessible to candidates across the different communities. Because historically, what companies would do is if they were part of one community, they would only advertise on certain newspapers if it was very old time, mm -hmm. only on certain platforms, only on certain TV stations, mm -hmm. radio stations. And so to, in to increase the equality, they need to be able to show that they're getting candidates from both communities. And that way they can then monitor and see, are you advertising on, for example, we right. usually have to advertise on LinkedIn, on Indeed, on Glassdoor. That way, everybody from diff from both communities and outside can access it. Um, and so that's one of the ways they measure to see, are they mm -hmm. equally attracting people? Mm. Yep. Very Thank useful. You. Yeah. Brilliant. Well, Koba, I'll repeat the question for you because yes. <laughs> some of this transpired, some elucidating conversations. But I'm just asking, um, in light of the current pandemic that we're all in, what, if any, are some trends that you've noticed in terms of the, the capacity of the workforce? Um, what I've noticed is that, you know what, as we all know, there are winners and losers in all adversities. And it's no different with the pandemic. There are industries that are still going strong. If you look at the fast food takeaway, you know, restaurants, um, <laughs> trade, <laughs> trade, you know, trade like essential products, trade such as builders, joiners, electricians, you know, logistics, landscapers, engineering skills are still in quite demand. My company has seen a turnover of, you know, engineer skills, especially in software. They've left in the pandemic wow. gone to bigger things. So, you know, it, you know, there, there, there are things that are still happening. There are companies who have been able to adapt their capabilities to take advantage of what has been such a devastating, you know, experience for millions. So, if, if you can adapt and change and so on, you know, you can, you can, you can be a winner even in this time. Um, I suppose the losers, again, you might notice is contact, close contact services, you know, the high street, non-essential shops. But again, I've heard of people retraining, taking on jobs they would never have thought of um, in a million years that they do. They're thinking outside of the box. They're innovative. They're looking for gaps in the market and creating their own opportunities. So you can see it happening. I know that people have been calling to stop, you know, for stopping supermarkets from selling, you know, non-essential things like fashion as the small high street shops are losing out. So, um, but what companies are now realizing is that employees can be effective working remotely. And I can say that my mm. companies, you know, that I work with, you know, Sensata Technologies, 
all the the ancient ideas of you know people must be in for them to be productive they're seeing that oh so people you know they're getting more out of people the pandemic has forced people into home working and employers unwillingly unwill, unwillingly but they have they are embracing it more and more and i could go mm. into a long spiel of you know the evidence of that um um employers what they're finding is that they're getting more pro productivity out of their employees because they're getting up early, they're not commuting back and forth. So people stay on longer, you know, so <laughs> companies are really benefiting from um, people be working from home and, and realizing that you can actually trust your employees to do what needs to be done. Um, I suppose there will be a disadvantage, you know, in some instances, depending on the industries, you know, as I mentioned earlier, organizations, could experience higher turnover of talent. And what is happening internationally, and we've seen it even again in my company where, you know, one employee who has left because his old employee employer that he worked with in America has decided to employ him here for mm -hmm. more money. Okay. Um, <laughs> you know, so I would say organizations are now also having to be open to the idea of employing people working remotely, even from other countries. Yeah. Of course, there are other drawbacks to consider, you know, um, in such instances, you know, there, there are tax laws and equalization, you know, to, to, to consider, you know, but it is going to, it is possible and people are doing it. People are pivoting. That's yes, people are, like I love that. Yes, yes. Yeah. Like. Pivoting, yeah. yes. Mm -hmm. it's yes. also interesting. It's also interesting when we hear somebody who speaks on, on perhaps, you know, as a voice of the employer, because when you're an employee, all you really see in a pandemic is more people phoning in sick. And I have to do more work because there's more people <laughs> calling in sick. That's all I really see. But I'm really glad to hear, you yeah. know, obviously the, 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 the other side of the coin. It's, it's, it's better for us. We have less sickness absence. Um, wow! Sense, yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. The the experience is that people mm -hmm. continue to push through even when they're not feeling well. In a way that somebody would have said, "Oh, I've got a bit of a tummy bug. I'm not coming in because they're at home. They just kind yes. of through it." So actually, there's some concern on the flip side that people are pushing themselves too much. People are not taking okay. days off because yeah. they're thinking, "Where am I going anyway?" But actually, you do need that time out yeah. still, even if you're just only going to be in the house. So employers are in in many cases doing really, really well in this because they can in a yeah, lot yeah. more out of people um i think sometimes to the detriment of the well-being of the workers Absolutely. if we don't if we're not I careful totally agree. Balance, right? and we're sorry but we have set up you know well-being seminars for people to attend we encourage them to do just catch up calls with each other don't do not speak about work just about just about anything except work and if anybody starts to talk about work we just cut them off and say look this is not for work you know just to keep, take their minds away get up walk about if your garden if you have a small garden you need to go and cut it for to, to, take 10 minutes and cut it go and cut it you know what i mean we don't we say get up from your desk do something else yeah. it is healthy you know because you find that people just keep going so you're yeah. right um angela yeah. Yeah. and of course that has long-term knock-on impacts on your health and your mental yes mental health yeah mental i suppose health. that was what i meant raquel yeah. when i talked yeah. about sickness so yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. go yeah. ahead raquel yeah but uh, i'm going to pause there because our next question is i'm going to direct this one to sylvia and it's about what would you say are some of the common pitfalls on application forms what are some of the areas that we need to be aware of when we're writing our application forms in order to do well to, to succeed to the next stage 
I would say, first of all, researching before you make applications. There tends to be, especially now, I understand that people are affected and they might want to do volume applications. Condense it. Quality is much better than quantity. So take the time to research the roles and stepping a little bit back even further before the application forms, look at the roles that you're applying to. I always tell people, don't just limit it to what you're good at. Always think about the next step, even now. The worst thing that's going to happen is you're going to get declined. Look at your workplace. Who's more senior than you? Where have your colleagues progressed to? Make sure that you're widening the remit because to increase your chances of being hired, I'm sure many people have been rejected and being told that they're overqualified. So make sure that you're looking for roles that could be a developmental opportunity in itself. When it comes to submitting application forms, our modes of applying are now both CV and application forms. So it's always important to touch on both. Whenever it comes to a CV, try and condense it down to about two or three pages. As recruiters, we spend on average five to seven seconds per resume. And if it has what I'm looking for, Sorry, I'll keep reading on. it. <laughs> Five to seven, se I thought you were going to say yeah. minutes. No, nope, five to seven seconds, because there are certain keywords I'm looking for. There are certain projects I'm looking for. And so if it's an essay, if it's not overtly clear, chances are I'm not going to progress it onto the hiring manager. So the remove certain points. information, bullet mm -hmm. points, but also remove the things you don't need. I don't need to know your home address. I don't need to know your hobbies. I don't need to know your high school or primary education. I don't need you to list your references because if you're successful, I actually won't need that. It's the background check people that will ask for that. Um, unless it's somebody notable. Like if you have the CEO of a company, then I would put that as a flex, but otherwise I don't recommend it. And be specific whenever you're writing CV. I always recommend people Googling buzzword bingo. And those are the common words that actually irritate um, recruiters, things like conscientious, hardworking. That's great. Those are qualities I expect even from the mailman that won't be unique mm -hmm. to you. So be <laughs> specific. If you've graduated in law and you're applying for a commercial contracts job, say that I'm a I'm an experienced lawyer who's worked on commercial contracts. I've negotiated mm -hmm. it for um, medical scientific company, a tier one investment bank, a hedge fund. I was able to negotiate a contract that was worth 3.8 million. Give me specifics. What have you done? How have you made a difference? I introduced X and Y and it meant that we shortened this task down to two minutes or to two hours. If you're a programmer, get to the specific. Don't just yeah. tell me you're a back-end engineer. What programming language do you use? Do you do, you do Java? Do you do C Sharp? Do you do um, WPF? Can you multi-thread? If you've worked in an investment bank, those things are huge. Do you work in equities? Are you in front office? Are you in middle office? Get straight to the point. I have less than 10 seconds to give you. So I need you to tell me, this is what I'm good at. This is how long I've been doing it for. These are my badges of honor and things that I've achieved. Get straight to the point. Um, if you're when using- When we said she was an expert, she's an expert. <laughs> <laughs> and if you're applying for a job where you have to do an application form, let's say public sector, use the SMART method. Um, and again, even if you have to write in prose, chances mm -hmm. are I'm gonna be skimming mm -hmm. looking for those keywords. So it doesn't hurt a good old notebook. Sit back, write a few bullet points. Even when you're drafting a CV, I always tell people, write bullet points of everything you've ever done. Highlight the things that you think would impress somebody the most. Give it to a friend to look at and see, do those bullet points also add up? If you have a recruiter friend or anybody in HR, show it to them and then condense that into a CV 
or for an application form and take the time to study. If you're applying for public sector jobs, there is usually a framework that is public online where you can take the time to draft ready-made answers for them, um, but just take the time and learn about it and don't just rely on application. 80% of companies prefer to hire through referrals. So look at your LinkedIn, look at your Facebook, who do you know that works at that company? If you're just gonna be submitting applications and leaving it there, you're probably gonna get rejected more than you get directed. Um, so just make sure that you're looking at your networks. Who do you know? Add the recruiters on LinkedIn. Take the time to read Glassdoor, for example. If you're preparing for an application that might even have a test after, afterwards, research. People will have a lot of information that will help you draft a really good application for that company. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So much yeah. here. I have a question yeah. right away okay. after whoever goes. Sorry, go ahead, Clover. No, I just want to say just, just one point here. You know, the, the thing about applications and CVs, it's about showcasing. This is how I look at your, your experience, your skills, your qualification, your attributes for a specific role that you're applying for. And this might seem simplistic, what I'm about to say, but it needs to be simple and easy to read. And as as um, Sylvia says, you know, you're looking for specific, you know, buzzwords or, you know, you know, and projects that you've worked on and so on. But here's what I'm going to say, Sylvia, I don't know if you have this experience. It's what I call the GPS of language. It is the grammar, punctuation, spelling. It has to be Ooh. arrow yeah. free. Yeah. You know, that is so important. People don't understand how much of a put off. That is when you're going through an application form or CV and there's there's so many errors in it. Yeah. So yeah. it oh, is yeah. it's, it's something that that you have to be careful, careful with. Absolutely. Yeah. There are very few people Don't that can forget. get away with that. Um, so there are very few people that can get away with that. So maybe programmers, if your job involves you dealing with quants and numbers, you can get away with that. But if you're going for a role where you'll be drafting correspondence, you're going to be drafting legal documents. Mm -hmm. It needs to be on point. Think about it. If your skill set is one where a job you're applying to is going to have multiple applicants, take every little note yeah. um, before you apply. That's why I always recommend write a CV, step away from it, give it overnight, read it the next day with fresh eyes, have somebody mm -hmm. else read it for you. Same with applications. Try and, try and find a job a good amount of time before the closing date because a lot of them will allow you to type your answers out and save it. Again, step away from it because sometimes as you're typing, everything makes sense. But if you read it a little bit later on, you spot those little errors and you're absolutely right. They can absolutely make a difference. Mm -hmm. I have a question regarding applications. How often would you say that any um, applicant has come back to you to ask for feedback if they've been denied, Sylvia? And is, is it a practice that you would recommend that an applicant you know do oh absolutely um first of all if a company doesn't give you feedback maybe that's not a good company to work for um although i do understand that at times you will get high volume of applicants and you're not able to give feedback within those first two rounds potentially in which case i would recommend maybe not emailing or use something like LinkedIn, because if you email and even if a recruiter answers you, as soon as they answer you, they'll, they'll delete your email. Um, so I always recommend finding a platform where you can maintain that connection with the recruiter um, or even the hiring manager. If you did interview, 
reach out to them on LinkedIn and just start with a nice note. Um, generally for me, if I'm interviewing, I send a thank you note after the interview, regardless of what happens, that way they remember me and we have that connection. That way, if I am rejected, I can then go back and say, hello, thank you so much for the opportunity to interview with you or to complete the assessment with you. Um, I, I appreciate that I was not successful in this instance, but I would like to learn where I came short just so I can improve. I'm currently active on the market and I'd like to be able to succeed and find a position or even in the future, it'll be good to know what parts of my skill set I need to develop. Something simple as that, they'll answer you, but also because you've connected with them on LinkedIn, they'll see your activity and they can continue connecting with you. And you never know, it leaves that channel more open to reach out to. Brilliant, thank you. Can I ask, Sylvia, I know I'm, I'm an HR, I'm asking from one HR professional as opposed to, to another, what is the value and what value do you place on you know, other activities such as you know, um, community work? volunteering, all of that, if, if someone was to put that in their, in their, in their CV or application. I, have to... I really value that. Again, it will depend on what sector. So for mm -hmm. me, I deal with software engineers a lot. So mm -hmm. when I see that they're interested in hackathons, that they're doing things like boot camps and Udemy okay. courses, that for me shows okay. continuous development. Mm -hmm. If they volunteer and coach people or make a difference in community, that's a good culture fit. That shows right. me you're okay. a good person. I always have my volunteering experience on my CV, for example. Yeah. Um, it does add. If you're adding value to somewhere else and you're showcasing that, mm -hmm. you're mm -hmm. also showing that you can balance that alongside your current job. Um, so that never hurts to add good yeah I, I, I just thought that, that was, that's that's my feeling really that it does demonstrate character that you know um, so you should include them so I just want to know your point of view I'm glad you asked I'm that because that's one of the questions we were hoping to ask later but our time okay. is running out so <laughs> Angela about three minutes well Angela to ask the question and we'll have about three minutes to answer that okay. and then it, Yolanda to ask the question and have about three minutes to answer that and then <laughs> Okay. Aye, aye, Captain. <laughs> All right. So just, just really a, a follow on from what you were saying, Sylvia. So we've talked about the application form and the CV. Now you've got the interview. How do you go about preparing? Just briefly, how would you go about preparing? And, and I'd love you to weigh in on that as well, Clover. Um, okay. Whenever you're preparing for an interview, take the time to learn about the company, but also learn about your interviewers. Public People have social media these days. So go on their LinkedIn, see what they've been up to lately. Use the question portion of the interview to build that connection with them. Get career advice, get tips on what they're looking for for their employees, the biggest challenges that they faced. That helps to cement your interest. Use places like Glassdoor because that's where people will have detailed the kind of questions that they're looking for. But also in an interview, something that I've just remembered right now is never underestimate the power of a pause the power in a pause. If they ask you a question and you need to think about it, just say, can I think about that for a mm -hmm. minute? And that gives you such yeah. power in that situation or even ask to return to a question. Mm -hmm. Yes, so just reiterating the point, the advice you're preparing for, for interviews, researching the company, being able to share why the role is of interest to you. You, you need to think about those things because that is part of the preparation. You need to understand the industry, some of the challenges that are within um, the industries um, and how you'd address them. Depend on the role you're going for, what you're gonna be, be, what you believe you'll be asked. Try to understand the details of the job based on the information that you've been given, say in a job description. You know, um, 
I, I always say to people, think about the questions. You never know for sure, but think about the questions that you could be asked and how your experience can apply. You know, what have you done in other roles that can demonstrate your skills, example, you know, problem solving, your customer service skills, and just pulling out things. And think through scenario type questions. You find that, you know, people, you're asked competency-based questions in interviews, you know, for example, share an example of when you've taken the initiative to improve a process, describe a situation where you had to solve a problem for a customer, so on. And there's a nice little acronym that, that, that you use called STAR. You think about the situation, the task, the action, and the result. You know, think about how you, you know, going to answer a question based on that four-letter acronym, STAR, okay? Um, when you get into the interview, I just want to say quickly, there are things that, you know, that, that people don't, they don't listen very well. They don't listen very well to the, the question that is being asked and they might go off on a tangent. It's okay to take a notepad. Um, sometimes, you know, unfortunately, questions may not be structured, you know, properly. It's okay to ask the, the interviewer to just stop and go through it again. And you make a little notes so that you can be structured and coherent in the manner in which you, 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 you respond to it. So there is quite a bit in the preparation, but there's also people fall down also, you know, at the interview stage, at that selection stage. I'm going to ask a question, um, I suppose, openly, um, but to, to our two guests, but I'm sitting here in awe, but I'm, I have two thoughts. One is somebody like me who's really averse to social media, LinkedIn. Thank God I have a job that I love and I'm planning to keep for a very long time because <laughs> I don't know how I would be making it. Um, also, just in terms of um, questions at, at interviews, Clover, you talked about us showing what we're good at, but very recently I had an interview and the question was strange that they asked me to tell them something that I did terribly wrong and that I wasn't good at. And I was in shock because I was like, oh dear, I'm not prepared for that. I'm prepared to tell you how great I am. But anyway, <laughs> it was good though. It thrilled me, but it was great. So here's my question though. Um, if you could just tell me what tendencies that you notice when it comes to women and how we as women approach, you know, meeting success criteria in job descriptions, particularly maybe high profile jobs. I don't know. Hmm. If I understand that question correctly, I suppose there are two ways perhaps I could respond to this. There are a couple of things. Stats. When you compare men to women, unfortunately, women take the approach to only apply for a job if they meet all the criteria. <laughs> Whereas men will apply if they meet only 60% of the criteria. Oh. And that is, that is a fact. And um, this will go for whether it's an internal prospect within you know, your own company or external um, prospects. Um, there is evidence, unfortunately, of less progression for women, especially to management roles, because, because one, they're the ones who probably need to take long periods of time out, you know, for maternity and the ones who typically become carers. So they spend less time um, within, within the organization compared to men. Sometimes others in the workplace, you know, view women as who are assertive as being aggressive or dogmatic and confrontational. And so they tend to develop a negative stigma, whereas a man you know, would be said to be strong and charismatic if they're demonstrating you know, similar types of characteristics. 
characteristics. The result of this is that women may feel that they will be penalized for acting out their leadership skills and as a result, sometimes limit themselves or even might adjust their career ambitions and don't necessarily go for jobs and other opportunities when they occur. Um, and there are times that I've noticed that women are not supportive of other women. And I've seen where some women in the workplace tend to find allies in men rather than their female colleagues. So that is a dynamic that, that tends to go on, unfortunately. Mm. Very true. Very, Very true. interesting. Thank you so much. Ladies, we have learned so much from you in that very short space of time. We could have talked about this for ages more. And it feels like something we could come back to in the future. I really, really, yeah, I really, yeah. really appreciate the insight you've given us, Sylvia and Clover, through this positioning yourself for progress in the world of work. Uh, Co-hosts, you've been great. Thank you very much. And all the listeners and viewers who have stayed with us to this point, thank you so much. We really appreciate you. Just thank going you. to uh, close out now by saying, feel free to join us for our next episode, which is... Bridging the Gap with Lata Sharma. Lovely. And oh, a mystery guest, perhaps. We don't know as yet, but stay <laughs> Let tuned. <laughs> Let's see. Okay, don't forget to like us, and share and subscribe. And I'm just going to hand over to Natasha as we usually do. <laughs> One of these days, you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram at unmute now. And if you'd like to contact us via email, you can email us at unmute now one at gmail.com and also find the audio version of our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, anywhere you listen to lovely podcasts, you'll find us there as well. And please subscribe to our YouTube channel on mute now. And until then, continue raising the volume. The volume. Bye. 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 Bye.